Thank you. And we need to thank our musicians that lead us every Sunday and our tech folk up there who, without which, we would not be here. So thank you very much, musicians, and thank you for you folks up there who do all the technical stuff. Good morning. Good to see you in church. Good to have those online with us and those in Haida Gwaii. And we pray this morning that God will just touch our hearts and our lives with something of the Word of God that will just sink into our hearts. And we go home, and we have something to remember day by day. I don't know many of you will know or not that we spent many, many years on the mission field. And when I was just very young, in my early, early, early 20s, if you can believe that far back for me, my earliest 20s, we were sent by Toronto, the missions department, to Africa. And we landed in a place called a Tibo, which was a really very, very countrified place about an hour from the nearest village, Kisi, which wasn't very big, big anyway. And uh, let me tell you two very funny stories. We landed there, and we had a, there was a, it's a brick house. It had a kind of a garden area on the side, and it was quite a large piece of land, way out, we would say, in the bush, away from everything. And very early on while we were there, a knock came on the door. And so I'm there, so I go. Now, I don't know any of the language except a few odd words here or there. And there was an old African man standing in front of the door. And I thought, oh boy, now, now, what we do now? And I finally dawned on me what he wanted me to do was to pull his teeth. Hi! I said, no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, he was so insistent. And it wasn't in a language situation because I didn't know any of his language and he didn't know any English. And finally I went to the toolbox, got a pair of pliers, and pulled his tooth. And then I gave him a jar of salt water, which I expected him to just rinse his mouth and spit it out. Woo! He swallowed the whole thing. And he walked out of the station, and they told me after, he said, Praise God, we have a dentist! And let me tell you, I pulled lots of teeth with pliers from that time on. In fact, somebody finally sent me a pair of forceps, which I still have at home to pull teeth with. So I pulled teeth for a long time. Another day, very early in my time there, uh, another knock came on the door. And here was a man with what we call a stalk of bananas. Now, you really don't see stalks around today, but stalks of bananas have about 14 hands and probably 20 fingers in each hand. So it's a stalk which with about 240 bananas on. Okay, you got the idea? A huge thing that we used to buy there, hang in the kitchen, and use as we needed. 
And his idea was that I would buy the bananas. The whole stock of them. I didn't need any bananas. I didn't want any bananas. But buy, 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 buy. And I mean the pressure's on. I'm the stranger. He's the African. And uh, finally, I gave in. And I bought the whole stock of bananas, hung it in the kitchen, and he went away very, very, very happy with really very little money, but he was very happy, and I had bought the whole stock of bananas. Now, consider with me this morning. Have you got the picture in your mind now? You see the stock that we bought and put in the, uh, what we would call the kitchen of the house? The banana tree was growing actually in my garden because the following day I went out to the garden plot next to my house and discovered he'd sold me my bananas. He'd cut the whole stalk down from my banana tree, sold me the whole thing, and I paid him for it. Hey. But then I began to think, you know, really, I mean, take it honestly, I didn't own the garden. Yes, it was attached to the house as part of the compound, but I didn't own the garden. I certainly didn't grow the bananas. And in one sense, they were really not mine. Follow with me through the thought for a minute. The garden was God's. God owns everything, so the garden must have been God's as well. And the bananas that were produced, the fruit that was finally produced with them, and they do produce properly as the time goes by, was produced by God's care. I didn't produce the bananas. It was produced by God's care. And the whole purpose of God giving us such gifts as even bananas is that others may profit thereby. Let me ask you this morning to think just for a minute, okay? What kind of fruit is the garden of your own life producing? Many of us at Christmas time have Christmas trees. Many of them are, well, what I'll call artificial or freshly cut. And we decorate them. We make them very beautiful at the Christmas season. But not one of those trees will ever produce anything. They will certainly not grow. The truth is that for a tree to produce anything or a plant to produce anything, it must be growing in the soil that God has made because God made everything in the beginning. Little wonder then that John, the gospel writer, writes in chapter 15 and verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And whatever you ask of your Father in my name, I'll give it to you. Now let me tell you, we're in a whole series this month talking about grace. It's grace of God, the grace of God that gives us everything we have. If there was no grace, you and I would be very, very destitute of everything. We read through Scripture, 
and we quickly understand that the one who bears fruit in their lives is the one who hears the Word of God, who understands the Word of God. No wonder that's what Matthew writes. In chapter 13 and verse 20, 32, it says, For what was sown on good soil is the one who hears the Word of God, who understands the Word of God, and indeed, he bears fruit, and it yields, in some case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. The Bible has a great deal to say about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we know who the Holy Spirit is. We've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the fruit and the work of the Holy Spirit is to develop fruit in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit is really what is manifest in the garden of your life. Now, let's look at Scriptures. And we've got a slide, I think, that'll give it to you. If you go to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, Paul writes in Romans, he says, Now being made free from sin and become servants of God, you have fruit unto holiness, and the end is everlasting life. Or if you went on further into Matthew chapter 17 and of chapter 7, pardon me, in verse 16, says you will know them, speaking of you and me, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns? Or figs from thistles? Every sound tree bears fruit. Bad trees bear evil fruit. And a sound tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that is, does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he lends the passage in verse 20 by this very solemn phrase. Matthew says, Thus you shall know them by their fruit. Now, fruit Bearing is really the practical manifestation of Christian life. Fruit is God's work. The psalmist David wrote, and I think we probably know the psalm itself, chapter 1 and verse 2. It's, uh, verse 3, he says he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that yield its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and whatsoever it does shall prosper. Now, we're in a series of grace. That is grace, let me tell you. For God by the Holy Spirit to deal with our lives so that our lives bear fruit to the glory of God. Jesus really had no place for the tree that didn't bear any fruit. Fruit must be the manifestation of the Christian character that is produced in our lives by the Spirit of God. The greater one is infested, if you want to use that word, or maybe I should say infused is a better word. The, one who is, the greater one who is infused with the Spirit's presence, the more definite will be the manifestation of fruit 
in his life. Work, or work belongs to the workshop. We all agree on that. But fruit belongs to the garden. One comes from the ingenuity of the factory. The other is the silent growth of an abundant life. The factory operates with dead stuff. The garden cultivates living fruit. Now, remember, fruit does not come because of man's labor. It requires his diligence, yes, indeed. But fruit, whatever fruit you want to think of for a minute, is neither his invention nor his product. Man cannot make flowers by his skills. Man doesn't bring golden harvest to the field or grow luscious fruit upon the trees. Fruit is God's work. The secret of fruit bearing in your life and my life or our lives together is learning to totally abide in Christ. The Holy Spirit abides in every Christian. Once you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit lives in you to make manifest the things of God in your life. And fruit is a clear evidence of the development of our spiritual life and character. You and I know there are nine aspects of fruit listed in the Bible. You stop for a minute and think about them. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Now here's the kind of fruit he expects. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he ends the passage, against such there's no law. Let me ask you this morning. I've asked myself, so let me ask you too. Is that the kind of fruit our life is producing? Because that's what God expects. Biblically, the word harvest is associated really with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is manifest in our lives because of the joy we experience as we live by the power of the Holy Spirit every day. Fruit obviously doesn't grow on dead trees or unhealthy trees, and we're all aware that any harvest only results when a seed dies, and only then will it produce something, be it fruit. And John states this very clearly in the Scriptures in John chapter 12 and verse 24. He says, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, only then will it bring forth fruit. Because if it does not die, it remains, or if it dies, it remains alone, and it needs to bear fruit. So if we do not die to ourselves, there's going to be no harvest. It's really that simple. Only absolute surrender to the will of God 
will produce much fruit from our lives. You see, there is a winsomeness in the Christian whose character is marked by the fruit of the Spirit, which is attractive and draws people to God. True holiness wins lives. No one can deny the power, the influence of the character that is resplendent with the grace of the Spirit. Now, note carefully, and all of us need to remember, I need to remember just as much as you do, the fruit of the Spirit is the character of God reflected in our lives by those of us who are united with Christ got to be united with Christ. It cannot be produced by outward change of habit or systems of self-improvement. It is cultivated only by the work of God as He conforms us to the image of His Son. As we consider the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, God speaks to us quietly, challenging us to examine our hearts. He challenges our spiritual progress. He encourages us to trust Him, and He seeks to bring His work in our lives to a completion. And God promises that He who begun a good work in you will complete it. The fruit of the Spirit provides a study in the practical goodness, reminding us that faithful Christian living demonstrates its attractiveness of the gospel to the world around us. If you and I have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, it in self demonstrates the attractiveness of the gospel to the world around us. Have you ever asked yourself the question, does my character make the gospel attractive to people? Peter, and we'll go to another slide, Peter says in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brother affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted. He's blind. He's forgotten that he's been cleansed from his former sin. We really need to grasp the fact of fresh and anew today. It's absolutely true we're saved by faith. There's no question about that scripturally. We're saved by faith. We're not saved by fruit. But we need to examine our lives to see if the fruit of the Spirit of God is developing in our lives. There are nine aspects of fruit that need to be manifest in the Christian character. But there's only one fruit. 
One fruit heads up the whole list. Now, think of these fruits as we go through them quickly this morning. The thing that heads up everything is love. It's the head of the list. Love is the inner disposition and is therefore seen in all the other fruits. Now, you and I didn't merit anything from God. God loved us. And so the old hymn says, I love you with the love of the Lord. I love you with the love of the Lord. I can see in you the glory of my King. I love you with the love of the Lord. And so as I consider the bananas that I bought from, not mine, but God's garden in a table long ago, I'm reminded biblically that there are three clear truths about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life which I need to consider. First, and hear it again, you've got it on the screen, fruit in our lives will develop in us, okay? Fruit in our lives will develop in us love, patience, gentleness, which in turn will develop a harvest in others. All right, got to start in our lives. And so initially, let's quickly look at them. Initially, love in my life toward others. Now, we use the term fruit of the Spirit, but we need to know it's a single collective noun. It's not fruits, it's fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. There's no picking and choosing between different qualities of character. The fruit you produce by your growth and by your dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life can only be collectively as a proper result of a believer walking in the Spirit of God. Note, love. There is a love, obviously, that no fruit of the Spirit manifests. We sometimes meet people outside of Jesus Christ, outside the church totally, who are very loving by nature. We don't deny that. You see them all the time. But the mark of the fruit of love in the Christian will enable him to love his enemies and will bring them within reach of the fulfillment of the Lord's command. <laughs> Matthew wrote in the scripture really is very clear. Matthew wrote in chapter 5 and verse 43, You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what reward of you? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. So this kind of love for your enemies actually changes the character of the one who loves. All right, now notice carefully. This kind of love for your enemies 
changes the character of the one who loves. Why? Because, first of all, we will develop patience, which I need to develop. I don't know about you. Maybe you're all very patient people. But we need to develop patience with others, which we need to develop that patience in our own lives. Patience is better translated biblically, actually, as long-suffering, at least in three ways. First of all, I would say long-suffering with joyfulness. And so Paul writes in Colossians, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy. Long-suffering needs trials to ripen it. And sometimes God will give you someone to endure so you can develop patience. And long-suffering is essentially godlike. Peter says, by which he has granted you his precious and great promises, that through you, these, you may escape from the corruption of the world and become a partaker of the divine nature. God is certainly patient with you and me. And he wants to develop patience in our lives. He wants also to develop kindness or gentleness with everyone, which also can develop more in our lives. The Greek word for Cain, canine, the pure. The Greek word for Cain, let me start again. The Greek word for kindness is not weakness, but gentleness or strength in control. Paul wrote, but we are gentle among you, as a nurse cherishes her children. Gentleness with opponents of the gospel. In quotes, don't quarrel. So Timothy says, have nothing to do with stupid or senseless controversies that breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone and an apt teacher, forbearing, correcting his opponents, with gentleness. Gentleness is pictured as a craftsman in his work. The wisdom is from above, uh, from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruits, and without uncertainty or insincerity. And thus love is patience, kindness, and gentleness. And then another slide tells you that fruit in our lives, secondly, will develop in us professionally a harvest for others. A harvest, pardon me, for ourselves. Let me start again. Fruit in our lives will develop in us personally a harvest for ourselves. A harvest of joy, a harvest of peace, and a harvest of self-control. The fruit of joy produces in you and me the joy of Jesus Christ. John says, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Obviously, the first joy is to do the master's will. Jesus exhibited this as he came to seek and to save the lost. And so Luke says, the joy of Jesus 
was that which God the Father had set before him. Or Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was seated at the right hand of God. Nehemiah says, do not be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so it becomes joy in the service of God to win souls. And Paul says to the Thessalonian converts, they were his glory and his joy. And remember, the promised reward of the faithful servant, he shall enter into the joy of the Lord. And then the joy of the Lord will make you at peace with God, which is great harvest for our own lives. Being at peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Colossians says, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Or John will say, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world give I give you. Remember Jesus possessed inner peace so he could sleep in a storm. You remember the storm story? And here he is sleeping in the boat. Even at the Last Supper, when he knew what was ahead of him, he knew the cross was just ahead, but he was calm. And he sat down with his disciples and displayed to them total peace. And so Paul will write to Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Or James will say, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then, thirdly, the joy of the Lord will help you maintain total self-control in your own life. Scripture uses the word temperance. Actually, this word means, in the language of the Scripture, self-control. It's the work of the strong sanctification of God in our spirit that teaches us self-control in our own lives. Paul says in Corinthians, I keep my body under and I bring it into subjection. I keep my body under, bring it into subjection. It was temperance in every area of life. Temperance of the soul. The emotional life needs self-control. Temperance is very often attached to my tongue. James says in 126, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and the person's religion is worthless. Temperance in our spirit. Our spirits are very capable of very strong feelings, capable of such that we need self-control, not repression, but we've got to learn to rule over our own spirits. And Proverbs says, he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. And thus, you can be a person having the joy of Christ within, having the peace of God 
fill your heart and life and having self-control of every aspect of your life. And then another slide will tell you thirdly that fruit in our lives will produce a harvest to the glory of God. We don't often think of that. But fruit in our lives will result in us gaining a deeper and a new relationship with the God of goodness, who is trustworthy, and me. Goodness in your life. You'll know a real measure of goodness. Barnabas, it says, was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Matthew says, good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. You'll be really and truly salt in the earth. The sheer influence of a good person can alter the tone of a conversation. You know that, just the same as I do. To be God's salt is to be different from the world in the essential attitude of my heart and my mind. You'll be like light in the world. Light is manifest while salt is hidden. The Christian goodness is an active thing. And so Colossians says, be fruitful in every good work. Moreover, you're going to experience the goodness of God greater in your own life. And then trustworthy or simple faith in our life. Trustworthy or a, a harvest of faith in our own lives. The idea of God's character obviously is trustworthy. Faithfulness is the bedrock of God's character. So Paul writes, God is faithful by whom you were called into a fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And faithfulness must extend to the small, mundane aspects of every one of our lives. Luke says, he who is faithful in the least will be faithful in much. It's an everlasting challenge of life because the writer to Revelation says eventually, be you faithful unto death. You can't be faithful this week and quit next week and carry on. You've got to be faithful unto death. And then meekness in your life. The scripture uses the word meekness, which really involves treating others with respect. And so Paul says in Ephesians that all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Meekness relates to our own spirit. Peter says, let the adorning of the hidden person of your heart be with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's a promise of your inheritance and rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest in your souls. We must remember that we are fruitful or barren. No amount of evangelistic zeal can substitute for moral qualities in our life. The supreme fruitfulness unto God lies in obedience to his command. So John says, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And so this is the goodness in your life.
trustworthiness, a harvest of faith in your life, and meekness in your spirit. And simply from my illustration of bananas at Atibo, as you head home today, and all week, remember as you see bananas, and let them remind you that the fruit of the Spirit is what God expects to see in your life as you grow in Him, moment by moment as you totally abide in Christ. And so fruit production will do three things. It will produce a harvest for others because your relationship will change. It will produce a harvest for yourself because you will become more connected to God. And it will produce a harvest for God because your life will become more and more and more like Him. Here's the challenge. Every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, ask yourself the question, did anyone see any spiritual fruit in my life today? I don't know if you know the old hymn, and I'm tempted to sing it, and I think probably you'd all leave if I did, so let me just quote it. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in your strength and your power. Come in your own gentle way. Come as a rest to the weary. Come as a balm to the sore. Come as strength to my weakness and fill me with joy evermore. Come like a spring in the desert. Come to the withered of soul. Lord, let your sweet healing power touch me and make me whole. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to you. Finally, don't forget this morning, and I think this is another slide we've got for you. If your life is developing spiritual fruit, the result will be threefold. It'll be a harvest for others. It will be a harvest for yourself. And it'll be a harvest for God. Here's the challenge again. Every day. Every day. Ask yourself, did anyone see any spiritual fruit? in my life today. Let's pray. And now may the God who is mighty, the Lamb who is worthy, and the Spirit who is near us fortify you to live faithfully and develop fruitfully all these days until Jesus comes. Amen. May God bless you. And may God make you and me much more fruitful than we've ever been before. And don't forget my story from Atibo. Every time you see banana, ask yourself, is my life fruitful? God bless you. 
God be with you. God go with you. Give you a good week. In the name of Jesus, bless you. Amen. Thank you.